How you guys doing? Everybody good? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good day to be in church. And uh, even, uh, man, it's a good day to be out on the streets. Uh, we, if you, you've seen a few Streets and Hearts shirts around, we are uh, heading over to Open Streets right after church today. Open Streets happens uh, once a year, about four hours uh, you know, they say roughly 10,000 people come down the street. We've got um, guys skateboarding and bike riding, the whole deal. They have a skate park at the end. And we've got a booth right in the middle of it all, the C3 Fort Worth tent and the whole nine yards. And, uh, and it's, uh, we're doing human shuffleboard. So, yeah, y'all got to come check it out. Uh, but what better way to be a part of the city than to be a part of what the city's doing? Right? Our strategy, our heart is to be a part of what the city's already doing. I was in a room this week with about 20 other uh, faith leaders, not all Christian, but 20 other faith leaders in the room with, with Mayor Betsy Price and uh, at the Fort Worth Black House. A buddy of mine runs that, and, uh, and we were just hanging out. And man, I was impressed. Uh, they just have a heart for, for what we're doing, what the city can become. And I'm sure not everyone loves everything that uh, politicians do. I think anyone who makes decisions is going to have people who don't like them. Um, I think that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, but I do think uh, there's a heart be behind our city right now that is really special. And it's really cool to be a part of it. It's cool to be down here and be in it. And so one of our heartbeats is, yes, we're going to do our own things. But the real heartbeat is that we would get involved with what the city is already doing. There are people in the city doing some incredible things. In fact, on Thursday, so Wednesday with Mayor Betsy Price, on Thursday, Meredith and I were with a few hundred other people at the Net Luncheon, uh, which is an organization we've partnered with, um, and they were doing their fundraiser for their purchase program, which is all about uh, women uh, being victimized in the sex industry here locally, not just around the world, but right here in Fort Worth. Uh, and so we were super excited to be a part of that. Uh, and then Friday night, we were at Sower of Seeds doing a similar thing with about a thousand people. And you know what was really cool about both of those things is that our very own Kristen McCurdy was part of planning those events and was the event coordinator for both of them. And uh, and I love that. I love John and Kristen McCurdy, man. I really, I know they're not here right now. Uh, they're already at Open Streets with uh, several other people setting up, getting it ready. Uh, but I just, I love their heart for our city. I love their heart for people. I love the willingness they have to engage and initiate and to be a part of what's happening in the city. And I think that's got to be our heartbeat. And we're not just meant to engage, but also to have an expression, that there's something we express when we engage with our city. And, and so I think John and Kristen carry that well, their intention. And, and I, I just, that's a model for us as people to even with the busyness of life, because here's the deal. Kristen and John were setting up on open streets a day after they had just put on an event for a thousand people. How many of you know that's not easy? Uh, which was a day after, two days after they'd put on an event for 300 people. Uh, mo both of these had city leaders, prime, like predominant city leaders in the building. And I, I just, I think that's our heart is that we would engage, that we'd be part of what the city is doing. So it's not just about creating our own thing, but it's about participating in what is already being done in our city, right? And so I love that we're doing that. I love that even in, in, in a quote-unquote small church, we're having a big influence, amen? And I'm excited about what God's gonna do in our lives and through our church as we engage with an expression, uh, with a message of grace and hope and good news, amen? And, uh, and in fact, that's kind of what we're talking about. Last week, if you were here for the opening of our Jesus the Christ series, we, we referenced Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked of his disciples, who do they say that I am? Do you guys remember this? How many of you took amazing notes, right? Fantastic notes. Uh, who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? 
And, and sometimes we treat that question as a throwaway question. It's simply just a setup question. Okay, who do they say that I am? Okay, cool, because I wanted to get to this next question. But I actually think that question sets the context for the power and the purpose of the next question. Because he asked them, who do they say that I am? They gave some decent answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. Then they went with the all of the above answer. Or a prophet. Right? Just any of the prophets. How many of you guys do test that way? You just go all, abo- all the above, all the way down. Just fill that D out on the Scantron. You're good to go. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and so that's, that, was, that was the first question. Who do they say that I am? And I think sometimes we assume we know who people think Jesus is. How many of us make assumptions about our neighbors, about our coworkers, even about the person sitting to our right or left in the building this morning, we make assumptions about who they think Jesus is. It's much easier to say, hey, you want to go to church? Because that's like a yes or no answer. And every once in a while, you get that one or two people that really just want to let you know what they think about church. It's a yes or no question, dude. Lay off. But the question of who do you think Jesus is, now that one, that one opens up a can of worms. That one opens up a whole nother discussion. And maybe that's why we like the church invitation question. And I understand that. Please invite people to church. But the reason we need to know who people think Jesus is is so we can answer the questions that they're actually asking. When we make assumptions about their answers, we answer questions they never care about. And so, so Jesus is not just asking this question to get to the next one. He's trying to set his disciples up for a discussion that would, would bring some life and hope. Because if we don't know what they think, then why does it matter what we think? And so Jesus says, okay, so now who do you say that I am? Peter chimes in because Peter always chimed in, even if he was wrong about the answer. Peter jumps in and says, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He had just broken ranks. He had just broken ranks. He had just taken Jesus out of the line of Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. He had just immediately changed the scope, changed the discussion, because saying Jesus was the Christ was to say that he was the anointed one. That's what Christ simply means, is anointed. Anointed one, Jesus means to save. The anointed one who was sent to save. That, that, that this idea, that's why the angel says you name him, right? we got to know what his name is. Jesus the Christ. Christ is not a last name. It's a title. Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One. And so Peter changes the discussion. And in Peter having a revelation of Christ, Peter gets a revelation of himself. Because the moment Jesus hears Peter's answer, what does he say? He says, you got this from heaven, now let me tell you who you are. And so many times we try to discover who we are, and then we'll come around to this faith question, when the reality is, is when we finally find our faith put in Jesus, we discover more about who we are than we ever would have found outside of him. And so here's this, this, this thing going on, and that's where we find Paul in Colossians. Now, I've told you the last couple of weeks we're going to get to Colossians. Today we're going to go there, so if you want to, you can jump to Colossians 1 even now if you would like to do that. It's okay, just... Okay, nobody? Okay, so we're going to go to Colossians 1. Go ahead and turn there. But, but this is where Paul jumps in. In Colossians, you find one of the more expansive, uh, large, incredible, powerful, beautiful descriptions of who Jesus is in, in the book of Colossians. Paul kind of goes off in the very first chapter and really spends the rest of the book talking about the letter, talking about who Jesus is. And it's where Paul's jumped in because what's happening in the city of Colossae is, is this, this kind of hybrid of beliefs. 
There's a large group of Gentiles who had lived a certain way for a long time. It was primarily a Gentile city, which just simply means they were not Jews. Okay, and then there was, a, there was actually a decently large contingent of Jews in the city, and this message had gone into Colossae. Paul never visited Colossae. He was never there. He never showed up, but out of, indirectly out of his ministry in other cities, uh, Epaphras, a man who came and talked to Paul, who caused Paul to write this letter to the Colossians, uh, Epaphras started the church, and, and, and God was doing some incredible things. Some amazing things. And, and so Epaphras comes to Paul at one point and says, hey, man, it's going well in Colossae. And yes, that's how you say it. But it's going well. I looked it up last night. I even hit the play button to listen to it four times just to make sure I'd get it right. And hey, everything's going well. And you see that in Paul's first few verses, first few uh, words of the, the letter to the Colossians. He's bragging about these people. He's telling them how amazing they are. He's talking about how good they've been, talking about how their faith is spreading, talking about all the good things he's heard. And, and he's bragging on them and he's celebrating. And then all of a sudden you, you begin to see that something changes. He begins to address something. And Epaphras had brought to him on, in the midst of all the good things. Has anyone ever set you up for the... Well, and there's one more thing. Sentence. Has anyone ever gone, hey, man, it was great. This is great. This was good. That was great. This was good. This was great. That was good. But there's one more thing I got to tell you about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you have done that? Any, any husbands done that? Man, the kids, they were great. Had them for four days. Right? They were great. They were awesome. But I got to show you something. You know what I'm talking about? And that's kind of what you, you kind of get this sense that Epaphras had, had, had kind of talked to Paul and said, hey, man, God's really moving, but I got to tell you what's going on. And what starts to happen, and, and Paul never specifically addresses a particular heresy in Colossians, just meaning some other belief that's trying to encroach on, on the gospel. But, 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 but you can begin to infer from Paul's statements what the, the heresy was or what the other things were. You can begin to, to kind of find out what he's trying to address. And what you begin to find out is there's a few things going on that, that there's the gospel that showed up in its purest form. Epaphras had brought it from Paul and from another city and, and it's happening and lives are being changed and people are receiving it. And, and that's, why, that's why Paul later in Colossians 2 says, as you received it, so walk in it. What you got first, initially, at the beginning, stay there. Don't leave that. In fact, he addresses that a bit at the end of Colossians 1. And so what, what's happening, though, is this, this pure, real, life-giving message of the gospel has shown up, and then all these other beliefs, all these other ideologies, all these other philosophies begin to make their way into the faith, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And, and they're beginning to see a lot of asceticism, which is basically just, I'm going to be self-denial, I'm, I'm going to beat myself up, I'm going to do certain things physically to somehow attain a certain level of righteousness or knowledge, primarily knowledge, of who God is, and I'm going to be at a different plane, I'm going to be at a different playing field than you are, I'm on a different level. It's kind of a version of Gnosticism, which is basically, Gnosticism would say that matter is evil, spirit is good. That's why you can't combine Gnosticism and the gospel, because they just don't work. Because Gnosticism would say there's no way God would enter into creation. In fact, there were enough emanations that had gotten far enough away that there was this other God that created the earth. And that God, not only was he not the true God, but he was hostile to God. And somehow that was created the earth, and matter's evil, spirit's good. So if I can just do enough things, I can reach a certain place where I can know God. How's that, does that sound familiar? Some of us do that to ourselves. 
And, and so in this, in this context, Paul begins to write this letter. And then when you begin to also figure out is that not only are they having this kind of this kind of asceticism this kind of earning this knowledge this kind of exclusive group of people but but now you have a spirit in the trees and a spirit in the waters and a spirit in the, there's a spirit in everything and and you're worshiping angels and there's all these other things that are going on and what's really happening the crux of it the real real issue is that you're, you're beginning to find is that Jesus is being brought down He's being, uh, he's being brought down to a level that is below what he should be. He's beginning to be looked at as a Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of those prophets. This gospel message of Jesus. See, when we say the good news of Jesus, we're not saying the news that Jesus talked about. We're saying Jesus is the good news. And so Paul jumps into this discussion, and he begins to speak about Jesus. And that's why you see this incredible picture of who Jesus is in the way Paul writes to the Colossians. He's writing to this city and he's saying, I want to set some things straight for you. So, so should we read it? I think we should read it. Let's jump in. First, in, in Colossians chapter 1, we're not going to read the first 12 or so verses. That's where he's kind of bragging on them, talking good about them, and, and, uh, and talking about what God can do when, when Jesus is supreme and purposeful and, 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 and number one in your life. This is what will happen. But let's pick it up in verse uh, 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I love that word transferred. We are in a new place. Your address is not the same. The reason some of us still live with the past as present is because we decided to live in the old nature and in the old location. But you have been moved to a new location. You live in a new kingdom. Location, location, location is not just a real estate slogan. It actually is something that is biblical that you have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into a new new kingdom of life and hope. Amen? Verse 15. Christ is, here he goes. He's about to go off. He's about to just, he's going to lay it down. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. See, he's already hitting at this Gnostic kind of idea that God would never show up in creation. God would never stoop that low because not only is that earth uh, not of God, but it's hostile to God. There's no way. And here he is going, no, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is everything God is. Getting ahead of myself because it's just good. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. Everybody say supreme. He is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. Supreme. Everybody say supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness, this is a big, big statement. It should, it should change your theology. It should mess you up a bit. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Are you, get, are, you catching like, are you catching what Paul's trying to put down? He's trying to, he's trying to make sure you catch something and you get something here. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's good, right? 
I don't know if you noticed, but Paul's trying to, to get something through to you and I and to the people in Colossae. I mean, how many of you are, you, are you catching firstborn, preeminent, supreme? He holds it all together. He was there when it was all created. He is the head of the church. He is the fullness of God dwells in him. Like Jesus is the thing. There is no other thing. And you know what I love about this moment? Paul could have easily come out swinging. He could have easily begun to think less of the Colossians, but he didn't. He just thought more of Christ. So many times we want to condemn where people are rather than lift up who Jesus is. But Jesus actually said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men into myself. The key is never whether or not we'll pass more laws or, or set more things or, or change more rules. It is always about whether or not the church will elevate Jesus to his purpose and his, and his rightful place. Revival always starts, always starts with a reading of the word and an appreciation of Jesus Christ. Always. Every revival you look at in history, they're reading the Bible, they're praying, and they're elevating Jesus to a place that he had not been in their lives in a long time. And so Paul doesn't come at people. He's not coming at them going, man, how could you? I cannot believe you. you did, man, you messed this up. I cannot believe you didn't understand that. I, 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 how did you get distracted? This is, this is ridiculous. This is, no, he comes out and he goes, man, way to go. You did good. There's some really good things happening. Let me just remind you who Jesus is. Let me just remind you how supreme and surpassing and sufficient Jesus is in your life. I'm going to give you two phrases. And you can title this message either one of these, okay? Number one is that Jesus is su simply supreme. There is no other thing I need to add to it. He is fully and completely supreme. We want to complicate it. In fact, when people get saved, people come into church, what do we start doing? Hey, man, have you learned the Ten Commandments yet? Hey, did you, did you read that book yet? Hey, did, did you, have you heard about the end times? Hey, did you know this is wrong and this is wrong? And No, you guys didn't laugh at the end times thing. Some of y'all had a bad experience. I apologize. Man, I, I, what did this, hey, you didn't do this. Oh my, you cannot wear that to church. What you missed, you missed that. You didn't, oh my, you haven't memorized 12 scriptures yet. You've been saved at least two hours. We begin to add all these other things. What cause do you fight for? What is your social justice initiative? What is your, and we begin to put all these other things while good while healthy, while, while not a bad thing to talk about what you're fighting for, if we, in that case, lose sight of who Jesus is, we lose the very thing that is meant to be simple, supreme on our life. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the other one would be this. He is supremely sufficient. Supremely Sufficient. He's simply supreme. He is above all. There is no other argument. There's no other discussion that we need to have. Jesus rises above the rest. And in so doing, he is supremely sufficient in every situation, in every circumstance, in everything you're dealing with, in all that you have done, all that you will do. He is sufficient enough for you. In fact, one author that I read recently said he is the center and the circumference of our faith. He's not just the center. He's also on the edges. 
He's where you're struggling. He's where you're having difficulties. He's where you're, where you're fighting through some things. He is the center of your life, but he is also the circumference. Anybody having a tough time with that one? You need to go back to school on what circumference is. It's the full diameter of everything that is Jesus is the circumference of your faith. I wanted to read a few quotes to you from, from very, very well-respected authors, writers, thinkers, theologians over the last several uh, decades and centuries. So I just want to read through those, and I'm going to have to put them on the screen because I did not memorize them. I'm just not that smart. So so go ahead and throw those, those quotes on there. Can you do that? The first one is from a guy named Thomas Aquinas, who, who's kind of a big deal. And uh, he wrote a, a lot of incredible things, things that people read to this day. And at the end of his life, he had this revelation, this deeper, bigger revelation of Jesus. And he wrote this, I can write no more. Compared with what I have seen, all that I have written seems to me as straw. Go to the next one. The characteristic of Christianity lies in the fact that its source, its depth, and riches are involved with the knowledge of God's Son. It matters not, listen to this, it matters not how much we know of methods or doctrines or power. What really matters is the knowledge of the Son. Watchman Nee uh, was one of the first to start churches in China, early 1900s. Uh, was incredible, wrote some incredible books, a great thinker. Go to the next one. So what is Christianity? It is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Christianity is not an ideology or a philosophy, neither is it a new type of morality, social ethic, or worldview. Christianity is the good news that beauty, truth, and goodness are found in a person. And true humanity and community are founded on and experienced by connection to that person. Go ahead and go to the next one. But everything, you guys getting the point here? This one is written by a guy you may have heard of. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and Paul actually had some things to lose, and considered them filth so that I may gain Christ. Listen, the, the substance of our faith it's not an ideology, it's not an idea. It is a person. It is Jesus the Christ. And sometimes we get off base. Sometimes we get added all these other things to our life and, and we, get, we get so caught up in all these other things that are good things and, 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 and in many cases healthy things, but then, but then we start to lose sight of the thing that is meant to be simply supreme in your life. And in, when it is, it will be supremely sufficient for your life. I want to keep reading as Paul begins to dig into Colossians 1 a bit more. And I'm reading quite a few verses, which I think is a good thing. Verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth. Here it is. But you must continue. Don't stop to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, I, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving, 
his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. And this is the secret. Everybody ready for the secret? Christ lives in you. Now I know, listen, these statements are big statements. Because we, we would love immediately to begin to add other things. Even as we hear that, we begin to go, yeah, I get that, but I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta figure out that, and I gotta... That's why this message is so important to us, because even in our Western culture, we've begun to be a culture that loves the kingdom, but not the king. We love the values of the kingdom of, of, of humanity and loving people and serving people, but we don't want the king who brought it to us in the first place, because we're a few generations on from it, and that's kind of how life works. And here's Paul, this message that Jesus is the Christ, and he lives in you, supernaturally. It's a bit different than what we would hear from other people. You gotta create it, you gotta make it happen, you gotta do it yourself. But Christ lives in us, that was the secret. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul only ever wants to talk about Jesus. Paul only ever wants to talk about Christ. In fact, in the first chapter of Colossians we just read, it's his name, Jesus Christ, is mentioned 30 times. In the first of Galatians, it's 20 plus. In Philippians, it's the same. You go into 1 Corinthians, you go into Romans, you begin to find out that as he starts every single letter, all he ever talks about is Jesus. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 5, verse 42, where the church is just getting going and the church is getting started, look at what the apostles were doing. Go to Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching what? Jesus the Christ. Not, not some good idea, not some new way of doing righteousness, not some Gnosticism or asceticism. No, none of that. They're teaching Jesus the Christ fully, fully, fully sufficient for you and I. Fully supreme. He is surpassing. He is preeminent. He is above all things. They'd never stop preaching Jesus the Christ. And when we get away from that, we get weighed down and we get discouraged and we get frustrated because we begin to think we can do it on our own, that somehow we're going to arrive at some higher plane and we're going to figure out what Jesus is doing because we just somehow earned it. But that was never the good news. That was never the gospel. Salvation was built upon a person and it's Jesus. The apostles didn't go into other cities preaching good ideas. There were plenty of good ideas on the earth. There were plenty of good rules and regulations and if you follow those, you have a day, maybe you'd have a decent life. That was, that was plenty of that stuff. Paul walks in, and Peter walks in, and John walks in, and all these guys, these apostles, begin to walk after they've had this encounter with Jesus. And what do they do? They preach and teach Jesus the Christ. In fact, even in this translation, in fact, I want to read it out of the message translation. If you could throw the message translation up there. I, I'm not uh, skilled enough to carry uh, two Bibles. Of Colossians chapter 1, the, the message translation says it a little bit different. Go ahead and throw that up there real quickly. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews. So just in case you think God's picky, he loves all of us. 
to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. Some of us need to hear this. The mystery in a nutshell is this. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the, everybody say it, substance of our message. We preach Christ. It's him we preach. Warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. Now here you go. Some of you young people are going to love this. Eugene Peterson was way ahead of the curve. To be mature is to be basic. Now in our culture right now, that word is not a word that you want to say about people. But see, what I found is the most frustrating people are the people who can't do the basic things, who can't just do the simple things, the things that do, how you just simply talk to people, simply love people, simply serve people, simply take care of people, the basic things of life, because we've gotten so caught up in the spectacular We've gotten so caught up in the shallow things that we've missed the substance and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. And we've gotten so caught up in all these things that we can do and all these things that we can have. And we've forgotten what it is to just simply want to know Jesus Christ in me. Nothing more, nothing less. It is only and always will be Jesus. In fact, Paul writes this in another letter in Ephesians. Would you go to the next verse? Sorry, go to, go to, is there an Ephesians? There it is. May you experience, and this is, I'm going to pray this over us today. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete. Everybody say complete. Basic. Nothing more. Nothing less with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It's basic. It's simply Him, supreme. And here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever been really proud of yourself for filling a cup all the way to the brim, all where nothing else. I know when the baristas make my coffee and they get it to the point where I'm going to have to walk really awkwardly slow across the, across the lobby to the table, they love that. But, but here's, here's what happens. What Paul is saying is that he is supreme and sufficient. There is nothing you can add to him because the moment you begin to add to the fullness of Christ, you can only add to if you are removing something else. So if a cup is full and I begin to pour more into it, I'm not actually adding to the volume or the containers of the cup. I'm actually having to remove things so that I can add something. Everybody packed for a trip? Ladies, 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 you ever gone packing for a trip? You ever tried to put everything you have in your closet into a suitcase? And at some point you have to start going, oh, nope, can't take that, can't take that. Oh, I wanted this dress. Oh, wait, I can't, okay, I gotta take that out. And what happens in our life when we think all we're doing is adding to the sufficiency of Christ, what we're actually doing is subtracting Because you can't, you cannot add anything to what Jesus has done and who he is. You cannot add anything to his message, to his purpose, to his life, to what he's done. He is supremely sufficient. He is the center and the circumference. And so when we add to this belief, to this good news of Jesus, we're actually taking away from the supremacy of Christ in our life. 
And it's those areas of our lives that we begin to find ourselves frustrated, discouraged. And we're going, why is this not working? I know it's hard because sometimes it'd be much easier for me to just take control and do it myself. But I want to let him be supremely sufficient. I want him to be supreme in my life. And I want our prayer as we move forward in this series. Because I know we got problems. I know we got things we got to figure out. I know we got bills we got to pay. And I know we got a job decision. And I know we got this thing and that thing and our relationships. And I get all of those things. But, but what I find here is that what Paul does, he, yeah, he has a lot of like, hey, do this, don't do this. And, but it always, 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 always comes back to Jesus. In fact, sometimes we pick verses out of Paul's letters and, and we think that the verse stands alone, but it doesn't. It always is leading to or coming out of his elevation of who Jesus is. If Christ is all, he is all you need to know. If Christ is all, all in all, that's Colossians 3. If, this is going to be a good series, y'all. If Christ is all, then that's all you need to worry about. I know, I'm not saying you don't, I, everything comes out of that relationship. If I would plant my feet upon the rock of Christ Jesus and build my house there, nothing will shake it. Nothing will break it. Nothing will take it down. If I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things shall be added to me. I am more than an overcomer in what? In Christ Jesus. There is a name and a person that makes everything else work. And I, my prayer is this Ephesians prayer. Man, that we would come to know and experience the love of Christ. Because to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be a follower is not simply to be one who watches from afar. And we even have these great phrases like follower and like, but what if it is simply this, to know and live as Christ. To know him. To really, truly, fully know his supremacy, his sufficiency, and his surpassing love for us. That nothing is further than him. Nothing goes farther than him. Nothing does more than he does. Maybe some of us today have added to that. We have, we have kind of put other things on top of our faith and put on top of our relationship with Jesus. Maybe because of traditions we grew up with or, 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 or things we've run into lately or books that we've read. Or, or, and and we've, we've layered this thing and we need to get back to knowing the, 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 the love of Jesus Christ. Experiencing his love for us through, through our word and through prayer and through fellowship and through simply pursuing him. That's my prayer. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand, if you would. And I'm going to close. But I'm going to close a little bit differently than normal. I'm going to close out of Ephesians 3. And then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment for those of us who have said uh, Jesus isn't sufficient. And really not by saying it and not really even by meaning it, but because, because we, have, we, have, we have allowed other things to take supremacy. In fact, if you were to go back to the Ten Commandments, where it said, have no other gods before me. If you actually read that through multiple translations, what you find out is that it doesn't necessarily just say God before me, it says God's beside me. That some of our issue is not that we don't love God, but we love other things a lot. And we've allowed other things to take residence where Christ should live alone. And we've allowed him to be brought low to the level of other things. And so we're schizophrenic. Monday, we love this. Tuesday, we love this. Wednesday, we love this. Hey, Sunday, we love Jesus. And we've allowed that to flow into our lives. So Wednesday, we're all emotional. But Thursday, we're this. And Friday, we're this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
But Jesus is supreme and he is supremely sufficient for everything you would ever deal with. And so it is coming into that place of going, oh, I'm not going to put anything next to him. I'm not going to trust. And so maybe our issue is the same as the one the Colossians had. And it's the same that the ones uh, that Peter answered for when Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? It's not that we don't think well of Jesus. We just don't think well enough. It's not that we don't think high of Jesus. We just don't think highly enough. We think he's good. We're just not sure he's great. But we, th- we, think he's, we think he's supreme. We're not sure he's sufficient. We think he's the center, but I'm not sure he can reach the edges of my life. And we've, we've allowed the pursuit to be other things. How can I get the answer for this and figure out the answer? No, 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 no. We preach Christ and him alone. He lives in you. And he, the fullness of God lives in him. So guess what? Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And there is nothing more needed. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. So I'm going to read Ephesians 3 over you. You good with that? Not the whole thing. Don't worry. But I just want to pray this over you and over us as a church. Because the thing that's going to make us set apart, the thing that's going to actually bring life, the thing that's going to make open streets that much more powerful is that we don't simply just go and do a thing. We don't just engage, but we have an expression. That there is a Christ that lives in us. And now we have been given a power and a life and a hope that we can bring into every area of our life, every street and every heart. As we know him and live as him, we will see Jesus lifted up on every street and in every heart. And so my goal for you, my hope for you, my prayer for myself is that I would experience the love of Christ and it would become simply supreme and supremely sufficient for me. Let me read this over you, Ephesians chapter three, and you can reference it later. I'm gonna read the whole thing so it'll be a little different than what you see on the screen. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious, so just bow your heads and close your eyes. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to him who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I want to pray that one more time because some of you just heard it and it clicked and I want to just, if you today, I want to pray this as our, kind of as our altar time, as our end time, as our closing time. If that's you today and you go, man, I want to experience the love of Christ. Whether you've been a Christian, a believer for many years or months, or maybe for some of you, you, you just need to make that decision today. I want, I want to experience the love of Christ. I want, to, I want to know the supreme and sufficient and surpassing love of Jesus. If that's you today, would you just right now, with every head bowed, would you just raise your hand? 
be bold this morning. Thank you. Anybody else say, that's me. Thank you so much. Anybody else want to pray with you? I want to pray this prayer again. I'm going to pray it over our church, but there's some of us who are responding to the good news and the gospel of Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus only. Jesus above. Anybody else, real quick, just raise your hand high. Let me read this to you. I want you to pray this with me. And just hear it and, 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 and bring it into your heart and your spirit. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Those of you who raised your hand, trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And many, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's sing together.